Hello, and welcome back to Current Account. I'm your host, Clay Lowry, the Executive Vice President here at the Institute of International Finance. On Current Account, I try to talk about what I see as the most important current issues in international finance and economics, while providing my own U.S. politics and policy angle on these different issues. And this week, I want to talk about the United States debt ceiling. I'm bringing this up in some respects because I raised it about three weeks ago on a podcast where I said that the debt ceiling probably would not get hit until the third quarter of this year. Some people reached out and said, well, hold it. Janet Yellen just said the debt ceiling was going to be hit on January 19th, which is obviously before this podcast was made. And that's because that is the actual debt ceiling, but it's not the debt ceiling that is most important when you think about it from a market perspective. I figured it was time to kind of walk through why that is. So what exactly is the debt ceiling? Are there proposals to solve a clear conflict here in the U.S. government? And what kind of uncertainties are out there? So let's kind of walk through all of that. So let's first start with the basics. What is the debt ceiling? The debt ceiling is the legal limit on how much money the federal government can borrow in the United States. And currently, this limit is about $31.4 trillion. Now, why do you need to have a debt ceiling? And that's because the U.S. government, for a very, very long time, runs a fiscal deficit. That is, that it spends more money than it takes in in revenues. In order to make up for that, you issue debt. But Congress in the United States system has the power to authorize how much debt can be actually issued. As such, they have set a ceiling for how much debt can be issued. So that ceiling is the debt ceiling. It is based on the expenditures that have already been approved by Congress and the administration. So when the United States hit the limit on January 19th, it can no longer actually borrow money. Instead, what Treasury does, the Treasury Department here in the United States, is it takes what is called extraordinary measures, which, by the way, have become less extraordinary because they seem to do this fairly often, in order to avoid a default. I'll try to walk through a few of what those actions are, but assume that it's a bunch of accounting gimmicks and taking from one pot of money to another on the theory that it could be paid back once the debt ceiling is raised. So the debt ceiling was created in the United States in 1917. Okay, why was it created? It was created because Congress at that time had to authorize debt on every specific bond issuance. Now, as you can imagine, that became a real problem, particularly during World War I. So essentially what the Congress did was they authorized that Treasury Department, which is the executive branch, could have up to a certain amount of money that it could issue debt to without having to get further congressional authorization. In other words, a debt ceiling. This ceiling gets raised fairly often. Over the last 23 years, it's been raised around 20 times. So it's not exactly uncommon for it to be raised. But it has led, particularly over the last quarter century, to some debt ceiling crises. The two most famous ones are probably in 1995, when the Republican Congress at the time faced off against President Bill Clinton, a Democratic president. What it led to was a government shutdown for a number of days. The next one, again, most famous, was in 2011, 
when the Republican Congress again faced off against a different Democratic president, Barack Obama, and they had a showdown, which actually led to a downgrade of U.S. debt. But in the end, the debt ceiling was finally fixed and raised, and the U.S. continued on its merry way, let's call it. I mentioned before that the Treasury Department uses extraordinary measures. So the debt ceiling has been hit. We've passed it. What Secretary of Treasury Janet Yellen has said is that they think, and I need to reemphasize that word, think, that the actual debt ceiling with teeth, in other words, where they cannot take any more accounting gimmicks, they can't take from one pot of money to another, will be hit sometime in June, which is a little earlier than what I had said, which was a Q3 type of arrangement, which I was guessing would be around July or August. Now, both myself and Secretary Yellen could be wrong. Why could we be wrong? Because we don't actually know. I mean, the Treasury Department knows better than me, but nobody totally knows what exactly will be the receipts that come in from taxes. So the best time for us to really figure out when is the debt ceiling going to be hit is after April 15th, which is tax day here in the United States. And that's because we'll find out how much did we actually raise in revenue at that time. In 2022, the U.S. economy grew by a little bit, which should help tax revenues. On the other hand, the stock market fell, and it fell pretty dramatically, which means capital gains taxes will be lesser than they were otherwise. But we won't know really exactly what that will be like until mid-April. And of course, it takes a little bit of time to calculate after that. So at that point, we'll get a better estimate of what's the X date as to when the actual ceiling will be hit. It could be June. Maybe my prediction could be right in July. It could be later. And I guess technically it could even be earlier. So why, do, why even care? Now, why people care is because the United States has not essentially defaulted on its debt since its founding back in over 200 and something years ago. So that's kind of important because obviously when you default on debt, that actually means that you get downgraded by credit rating agencies, your borrowing costs go up, and it becomes just more expensive to do any type of financing, and most likely it's going to harm your economy. The Federal Reserve did a study a few years ago, and they basically said that even in a best case scenario, it would throw the United States economy into a recession. Now, how to avoid those type of scenarios besides actually just taking the action of raising that debt ceiling is what you're going to be hearing over the next few months of negotiations, mainly between the House Republicans led by Speaker of the House, Kevin McCarthy, and the White House, President Biden and his team. There will be a number of different ideas. What do the Republicans want, first of all? At this point in time, it's actually hard to know what they want. They say what they want is to have less government spending. Now, in some respects, it's a little weird to be using the debt ceiling for less government spending because the debt ceiling is all about the spending that has already been authorized and approved by the president. Now, if you're a Republican, you could say, well, that was done during a Democratic Congress. However, it wasn't like the Republicans when President Trump was around or, and they had control of both Senate and House that they were actually being fiscally responsible either. 
as spending went up tremendously during that time. But that seems to be what they want to try to address. That being said, there does seem to be a number of other objectives. So because of that, it makes it hard to negotiate. President Biden has said he does not want to negotiate. In fact, he refuses to negotiate on the theory that we should not be holding hostage the United States' credit rating. Now, my own opinion on that is that doesn't really make total sense either because everything in Washington is a negotiation. So I don't really understand that kind of positioning. That being said, all of this is a mess, as you can tell. And so people are trying to find ways to get out of the mess besides, again, just having a hard, tough negotiation where they try to figure things out. There are ideas out there, including a high interest premium bond that could be utilized. You issue that in order to basically pay interest payments later and get rid of some of the debt that is at a less high interest rate bond. There is a crazy idea, sorry, I probably shouldn't say it that way, but I will, called the trillion dollar coin idea, which is basically that the US Treasury would mint a trillion dollar coin, place it with the Fed, get money from the Fed, and somehow this would avoid the debt ceiling. That sounds completely ridiculous to me, but it is one of the ideas that's out there. And then finally, there is the idea that you do hear a number of times, which is the United States government should prioritize its payments. So in other words, yes, make good on your interest payments on debt, so you don't technically default on the debt. However, instead, what you would do is you would not meet some of your bills. So now, which bills would that be? If you're asking Republicans, they don't want, they want to make sure that our military troops are paid so that you would have to continue paying your defense expenditures. If you ask probably Republicans and Democrats, they would want to make sure that our elderly people get their social security, that's our retirement funds, or that they get Medicare, which is the closest thing the United States has to a, a state-run medical system. Those are, so if those payments are sacrosanct, then which payments are you going to do? And also, when you don't make your payments, it may not be necessarily a technical default, but it sounds pretty close to a default to me as well. As somebody who's worked on a lot of sovereign debt workout issues over the years, usually in much lower income countries in the United States, there's always this discussion about, do you make your debt payments or do you not pay your bills internally or domestically? All of that is very difficult to do. And it's not like Treasury Department is set up to do it. They just make payments. They don't like prioritize their payments. And finally, think about the politics of this. You're going to tell someone, I'm not going to pay you as an American because you did a service for the United States, but I will make sure I pay my bondholders. And those bondholders include people that are outside the United States. They could be British or Japanese or Chinese. The politics of that, as you can imagine, are pretty tricky. So where does that leave us? It leaves us with what will these negotiations lead to? So in the night, I told you about the two cases. There's been a number of other problems over the years, but the 1995 and 2011 cases, in the end, politically, the Republicans came out a little bit with egg on their face, and it might have led, I'm not going to say it's the only issue, but it might have led to the re-election of Bill Clinton in 1996 and Barack Obama in 2012. On the other hand, the Republicans can claim that they did actually get, as part of the negotiation, greater fiscal controls were put in place and for the out years, so not the years before, but going forward. 
So the negotiations, we'll have to see how that plays out. Here in Washington, the consensus seems to be, well, we've been through this before. It's really difficult. The markets are going to get really scared come whenever the X date is. We'll stick with Secretary Yellen's approach of early June. And they'll come up with some sort of a deal. I mean, it'll be the last second and it'll be awful, but we'll get there. One commentator this week said that maybe the biggest worry should be that we've become somewhat complacent. There needs to be more fear in the system. And that might come about because of market volatility. It might come about because businessmen and financial leaders, et cetera, start writing letters to Congress people as well as to the Secretary of Treasury and the President saying, you cannot do this, you cannot do this. All of that said, it is still very much a political battle, and that makes it tricky. So now it's time for the three, two, one, three main takeaways, two things I'm looking forward to and one sports fact. All right, the three takeaways are, one, the U.S. has hit the debt ceiling already, so it can no longer technically borrow money. But the actual date that the government would have to either default or shut down the government or stop making payments is right now expected to be in early June, though it could be at a later date. Next, until Congress raises the debt ceiling in working with the executive branch, there will be market volatility around this issue. That volatility will pick up pace the closer we get to the X date. That means the negotiations could get ugly, which suggests that the volatility could get worse. And maybe last thing to think about is, could this affect the U.S. economic outlook? In the short term, I think the answer is no. But as we get closer to the date, and if we actually breach the debt ceiling, then my guess is that it could have a, a small impact, or if we actually default, a tremendous impact on the U.S. economy. Two things I'm looking forward to are, one, an upcoming meeting between Speaker of the House, Kevin McCarthy, and President Biden, which is supposed to be about the agenda going forward, but that includes the debt ceiling. And next, is there some greater clarity from the Republicans as to what do they actually want? At this point, we just don't have that clarity. Maybe it's a negotiating tactic. Maybe it's because it's really hard to get clarity when you have 224 members of the House of Representatives you're trying to appease. But I think having that clarity is something we should be looking forward to seeing. And now my one sports fact. I want to turn to the sport that I know very little about, surfing. Now, surfing has grown and become more of a sport over a number of years. And in fact, for the first time ever, it was put into the 2020 Olympics, which were held in 2021 due to COVID, where a Brazilian won the men's event and an American won the women's event. And why I bring this up now is because of a giant wave competition that just took place in Hawaii. This competition is completely fascinating to me. And here's why. The first point is that they can't hold it every year. The reason they can't hold it every year is because you must have waves that are 40 feet high, which is just a huge, huge wave. And so they don't come that often. And when they come, the people in Hawaii hold an event called the Big Wave Competition, the Eddy. Now, why is it called the Eddy? It's named after 
basically a hero in Hawaii who was a lifeguard, a surfing lifeguard who saved many, many lives. He lost his life eventually in uh, trying to help people out. And so they named this competition after him. They've been running the competition for many years, but the last time they held one was seven years ago. Again, that is because they can only hold it when the waves are a specific height. So what they do is they invite 40 people to be the competitors. These are the 40 best high wave or big wave surfers in the world, but they're on call. So in other words, they don't have a specific date. They have to say, here's the wave. It's coming. We're, we've got the predictions. Please come to Hawaii, wherever you're from, and surf. And that's what happened. And we just had the event and supposedly, from my knowledge, the greatest giant wave surfers in the world competed. And the most interesting part is the person who won. His name is Luke Shepardson. He was a surprise winner, but maybe most importantly, or at least maybe ironically, is that he is a lifeguard. In fact, he had to take breaks from lifeguard duty just to compete in the competition, and then he'd go back to being a lifeguard. He won the event. He was a surprise winner. And I thought one of my favorite points at the end of it, he had to cut the celebration short because he basically said something to the effect of, I've got to get back to my lifeguard chair because I got people to protect. That's what I do for a living. So congratulations to Luke on an amazing event. And congratulations to the people of Hawaii for holding what is really a cool sporting event. Well, that's it for this week. As always, we'd love to hear your feedback on the show as we constantly look to improve and enhance the experience for you, the listener. In fact, the main reason I did this week's episode on the debt ceiling was because of listener feedback. We can be reached at podcast at IIF.com. Please make sure to tune in on Mondays for our next episodes. That and all our episodes can be found on Spotify, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast from. Thanks for listening and goodbye.